Welcome to season two of Best in SaaS, where we talk through the patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 20 million and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Despite the world melting around us, we survived season one with only a few scratches and a couple of bathroom incidents from our resident Best in SaaS puppy mascot, Stuart. Wash your hands and don your favorite face mask because here comes season two. Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled, per usual, for you to listen in on this conversation. But before we get into it, if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the discussions, do me a favor and let us know by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks find the show and it helps Apple realize they should feature us on New and Noteworthy. So that would be awesome. With that, enough of my blabbing. Let's get on to the episode. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Today, I am thrilled to have Michael Manny on the line with us. Uh, Michael took Namely from 200K to over 60 million in ARR and has done numerous chief revenue stints since then, is an advisor, an investor. We met through Mark Roberge, I think it was. So, And now you're the, uh, the chief revenue officer as of, I believe, very recently at uh, Ocrelus. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Yes, great. Thanks for having me. So let's start. Let's start at the beginning, like that. That that two hundred k. You're at Namely. It's the early, early days. Uh, normally, we focus on the sprint from a million to let's call it twenty, but and and the broken up into the two segments. But I think it'd be really fun, just because you know it's not all the time that you get to talk about what was that early fumbling stage like before you get to the million and kind of cross that threshold of of pure product market fit like can you talk us through those times yeah for sure no i would love to um it takes me back it seems like a long long time ago but it was only about 6 years ago um so in april of 2014 the first day of april i remember joining the team um and i had been chatting with matt i had spent uh, five years before that at a large software, HR tech software company, Ultimate Software, um, and learned a ton there about building great culture, great teams. And I was excited to take over in leadership. So I remember chatting with Matt and we we reviewed the book of business and it was probably sometime in my first week and there was about 25 customers. And I remember looking through the contracts and only like 15 had like numbers associated with it. And the other like six or eight where Matt's like, oh, that's just my like my friend or this agency I know. or So it was really like 15 customers. We had a couple hundred grand in revenue, about 200,000 uh, plus or minus. Um, and the team was fairly small. So we had our, our business office was in Manhattan, New York City. Um, and our engineering and product team was in Brooklyn, in Greenpoint. Um, and we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, mixing the groups together. But I remember meeting the sales team and um, and still to this day, I keep, I keep really good contact with the folks. But there was two SDRs and then Chris Flores being one of them and, and Kevin Cody, who ended up taking over after I left Namely as the head of sales, uh, was my first AE on day one. And I remember coming in and being like, all right, so tell me a little bit about the deals you've closed and what's going on. And he's like, oh, today's my first day as an account executive. Um, so he had just gotten promoted on <laughs> April 1st. Um, so I knew we were, we were at the very, very beginning, but it was a wild ride. And, um, and we ended up going that year, 2014, we went from about 200,000 to 1.8, 1.9 million. Um, and we ended up hiring a third account executive. There was, there was two of them. And then myself, I was kind of player coaching it. And we just spent, I'll be honest, we spent a lot of time when we weren't prospecting, we were just demoing our product all day, every day, speaking, 
spending time, business time with customers. You know, I think even from, you know, the items I've read in the past, it was, you know, the most important thing is during business hours is to spend it with prospects and customers. So we would do five and six demos a day, send all our follow-up that evening uh, and just do our best to, to try to follow up with people timely. And we ended up having a lot of success over those six months. What, what, what do you think the most challenging aspect to those first six months was in retrospect? Yeah, I think one of a couple of a couple of items were pretty challenging. Having been in a more mature uh, company before, we really had to dial in that ideal customer profile. We had had fifteen or twenty customers, and they were kind of all over the map. A couple of people just used one part of the product. A couple were, you know, trying to use more. But we were really dialing in on the ideal customer profile, and that's probably where where I spent the first couple months uh, really nailing like what are the the types of companies that want to use. Namely, at that time, and we ended up dialing it into a couple things. Uh, we really focused on those folks who were, you know, small to medium growing technology companies. A lot of them in New York City and the Bay Area because they tend to be early adopters. Uh, so we had folks like Mashable and Birchbox. We really started to land those innovative HR leaders who wanted to to, to purchase a performance and essentially a talent and an HR solution that really spoke to their employee base. So we we did a lot dialing in that ideal customer profile. Um, and then we spent a lot working on the motion. You know, what does the sales cycle look like? What are price points that are reasonable? You know, we were we were more of a nice to have, and because we had not gotten into payroll and benefits yet, so we were more of a nice to have. So we really dialed in the the pricing, uh, the ideal customer profile, and that sales motion were probably the most important, you know, and challenging parts over those first couple of months. So pricing is a big one that comes up a lot. And I think a lot of founders and early executives uh, struggle with it in many senses uh, or are sometimes afraid to test even. So can you walk us through what your process or methodology was for uh, honing in on what the right pricing strategy and structure was? Yeah, for sure. And you and you mentioned it. I think what you just said is really important. You got to be willing to test and iterate. It's super important. Um, you got to go out there and spend time with prospects and customers, the ones you win, but you would learn just as much from the, the deals you lose. You know, where did we fall relative to the other vendors? You know, was pricing an issue with why you didn't or did or didn't pick us? You know, how important was it in your decision? And we really nailed. So I was fortunate to have been in the HR space before. So I had a, a decent idea directionally. But we definitely did a lot of testing and it, and it depended on, you know, a lot of people like to use, you know, the number of seats you're using. There's a usage component now these days at times. Um, but it's really important. I think the, the most important from framework from what you mentioned is to test and iterate. Um, you don't want to change it too much, you know, visibly and publicly, but you do want to try to really dial in and then uh, debrief with those prospects and customers. You know, learning, uh, learning from the wins and losses is really important. And we did a really good job, I think. When we started at Namely, our, our base price was something around three or four bucks per user per month. Um, and we ended up, you know, when I left, we had built a suite that, you know, essentially cost north of $20 per user per month. So we really matured it over time. But I think you mentioned it, testing and iterating um, and continuing to evolve it is really important. And practically speaking, I mean, you mentioned it's bad to you know, shock the public with a bunch of changes to your pricing page. So how did you manage to test it without kind of constantly changing your pricing page. What did that look like? Was it a contact us for pricing or how did you how did you manage that? Yeah, in the early in the early years we definitely did like a contact sales, contact us and and we really pushed people. We were much more mid-market and namely so we pushed people to a demo. 
and wanted to talk about it because everyone's needs could vary. Also, we kind of had two or three stools to the product or, you know, feature sets. Um, but I do think if you are going to leave it on the pricing page, you want to pick, you know, you want to look at some of your comparisons and comparables out there, you know, pick a, a moderate to midpoint of the range. Um, the, the one thing, you know, you always get coached up is you can always discount. You can't go higher than list. Uh, <laughs> so you want to keep that in mind. Um, and I coach a lot of early stage founders on like, you know, pick the upper middle uh, of the range. Uh, you're, it's okay if you leave a few dollars on the field, especially early on. But, you know, you do want to, you know, have opportunities to discount, whether it's based on volume, commitment, you know, whatever factors are most important to your business at that time. So I do think it's something where over the first few months, you want to test and iterate kind of behind the scenes, and then you'll feel more comfortable going public with it. Was there like an aha moment in revenue where your sales motion, just revenue motion in general, and ICP really clicked and fell into place, and then you were able to focus a lot more on scaling and, and processes therein? Yes, I still remember it today. I think um, for sure, there's a couple of inflection points, you know, when you're on a journey, we were, you know, I was there for, for almost five years. So there's a couple inflection points. One of them was, um, I remember September of 2014. So we had, um, we had sold a, a couple of customers, you know, between April when I joined and the end of July and August, but then coming into the fall, we really started uh, to hit that motion. And I remember it was the first month, September of 2014, we did more revenue that month than we had done in the entire like history of the company pretty much. I think, you know, almost, I think we had done some upwards of a couple, you know, four or 500 grand that month. And, you know, we followed on with August, uh, I mean, sorry, with October and November. So that was definitely a big turning point. I think we had done a lot and continued to evolve and iterate on the product. And we really started to see the dividends of like that 90 to 120 day sales cycle starting from, from April. So as we started to kick up lead gen and that was, uh, that put us on the path. We actually raised from matrix partners. Um, David Scott was actually the individual who, who helped me introduce me to Mark at, at, from HubSpot. And we ended up raising from them that fall uh, when we were approaching 2 million ARR. So you, had a prolific board. I mean, I, I can't imagine a, a board that gets much better from a B2B SaaS perspective. What, uh, what are some of the learnings that you took away from working with such a high caliber group of people? Yeah, no, for sure. We, we talked about this earlier. Um, we just had incredible supporters, uh, both you know, in the Namely office, um, on our board of directors with Matrix, uh, Pat Grady from Sequoia, uh, amongst others, true ventures scale. Um, it was really incredible. So there was a few things I learned a lot over the years about not just building a great go-to-market team and organization, but building a great company. Um, you know, all of those firms are famous for building long-lasting, sustaining great cultures and companies. So I learned a lot about how to think about team structure, people, culture, um, all of those items, and I, that had started at Ultimate Software and continued on uh, when I got to Namely, but learned a ton about that. Um, David is, is probably, Scott is probably one of the, you know, the godfather of, of inbound marketing and sales. So I also took away a ton of, of learnings on, you know, tactical and strategic learnings on how to build a, and run a go-to-market machine, uh, from both a marketing and sales perspective, really holistically. Um, and in addition to that, you know, I do think as we started to mature, I even learned a ton about how to build a great product. And, you know, Sequoia talked a lot about virtuous cycles, of how to build a great product, test it with customers, 
um, sell, sell a bunch and then continue to iterate on that flywheel. So outside of just generally like, you know, loving to work with that group and, and you know, very fond memories of what we accomplished. Um, I learned a ton about how to build and run a great business um, and team. And, uh, and that was probably the most important takeaways. So I'm curious, now let's talk about the growth stage as that started to unfold. Was This was your f- first time with that level of scale and revenue, correct? Yes, definitely my first time. I had been an individual contributor turned, you know, very junior manager at, um, at Ultimate Software. I had never run or scaled anything prior to, to joining Namely. Amazing. So, so what were some preconceived notions you had or, you know, expectations that you had of what that next sprint would be like that were just totally wrong? <laughs> Yeah, good. Uh, great question. So, and I and I talk a lot to you know whether it's current team members or or uh, others out in the industry and, and founders and entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of you know one way to think about it is what got you here kind of won't get you there um, at times, and and you kind of uh, for lack of a better word, you have to you have to disrupt some of your own processes and 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 as you mentioned, preconceived notions. I think one thing you know that I thought was we could just hire you know super sellers um, and they'll figure it out kind of thing. And, um, and I remember as we got to a couple million dollars, I started to see, you know, a little bit of a dip in productivity and, you know, ramp time. And Mark, Mark, who was very helpful to me, talked to me and asked me all about, you know, what is your training and onboarding and enablement program look like? And I'm like, what? Like, I, you know, they come in and we kind of show them how the demo works. And, you know, then we, we let them out. And, um, and it was the first time I was like, is that not like the right way to do it? Uh, and he was like, well, I, you know, and he very politically and diplomatically was like, well, like, we really need to introduce you. And I remember he introduced me to the individual who had built the training and enablement program at HubSpot, Andrew. And they talked all about like, having a program and a class and, you know, different types of certifications and, and walking through what makes a great seller and a sales methodology, all these fun things that probably in hindsight look so um, like such no brainers. Uh, and I just was, I had never done this before. And so I thought like, Hey, we'll just teach them a little bit about the product and the industry and they'll, they'll be successful. So I would say that was by far the biggest learning since then. I, you know, I, always want to make sure we're investing in in our team both in their individual skill set and enablement but also in just making them a great uh great salesperson or a great marketer or whatever it is so that was one of the areas and and the other thing um which i'll 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 talk a little bit about we started to expand um at in 2015 we opened a, a west coast presence and we had a couple virtual reps out in the bay area and they were fantastic, but I also started to recognize how important communication was. You know, if you weren't going to be sitting with people every day, you had to make it feel. And this was, you know, for those who are who listen in, pre-Zoom. You know, there was WebEx and join me, but you know, there was no <laughs> Zoom. There was no easy, you know, hop up a video in in, in a couple seconds. Uh, so it has changed, I think, all of our lives on communication, especially in the current times. But at the time, that was a little more difficult and had to be really thought out. You know, uh, how are we going to communicate? What are the best ways, you know, written versus verbal and in person? And, you know, how often can we meet live? But what can we do in between to supplement that? Um, and it was great. And I think we, we ended up having a, a great leadership out on the West Coast later that year and really built it out, um, a team on both coasts that had some friendly competition also, which was fun. But those are probably some of the biggest learnings in that, you know, growth stage. 
That's amazing. That what a, what an experience. So now I'd love to fast forward um, because I know we could we could probably talk about namely in that growth for for the entire episode. But I, I'm curious. You're you're now with a new company, and it's it's only been three months. What got you really excited about Oculus? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, Oculus has been great. I'm a couple months in. Uh, there's a huge evolution and revolution in kind of fintech infrastructure. You know, the things that power and, and you know, the stories are now well known, everyone from Stripe to Plaid, you know, of how we interact uh, with our, you know, with the world of finance. And Oculus is doing amazing things on digitizing pretty much all the paper we use today and turning it into digitization. Um, APIs that can be consumed, uh, everything from consumer to enterprise applications and individuals. And we're doing a lot in that space and it's really exciting. Um, I do believe if, you know, if the beginning of the cloud was kind of in the 2000s and then it evolved into APIs and now we're going to have this whole data layer at Ocralis sitting on top of it where we can tell companies and even down individuals like who are good credit risks? You know, how do we process a mortgage faster? You know, all the big, uh, players are trying to make it so much easier and frictionless on the individual to go out there and go through their day to day in whether it's personal or business. So I'm super excited. And I know Oculus has a huge opportunity to really be part of that revolution. Um, and so that was what really got me geeked. And outside of that, the team, uh, everyone from Sam and Vic, uh, Sam being the CEO and Vic, our COO, uh, along with all the other folks that have joined, we've built an incredible team around uh, Sam and Vic. And so I was just really excited by the team. The technology and it was really good timing. Uh, I felt like I was ready for for a, a new adventure, and um, and it ended up working out really great. So excited to do that uh, at Oculus. So big new role. What when you think through your goals for the next twelve months? And and I'm actually curious, both on a personal level, outside of work, and at at Oculus, what are your goals that you're gunning for? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, let's talk about the professional side first. I, um, a personal, we can definitely get into, but I'm really excited about, you know, we're on this journey and Oculus has done a great job. The initial uh, footprint that they had landed was, uh, in, uh, you know, more in lending, mostly SMB and, and fintech lending. So companies like um, everyone from Bluevine to Lending Club and, and those types of folks who do, uh, you know, small, medium business lending. And, and that's a really important area right now. Obviously, the you know, Oculus has, has done a huge part as far as PPP and this SBA lending program to help enable folks to get um, to get the right you know qualified folks in there and, and to and to lend to them to keep their businesses alive. So that was the first generation of the company, and we're still doing that today. But we're starting to expand the TAM. So I spent a lot of time thinking about we're getting we just got into mortgage and we've landed some really great notable customers that we're going to announce really soon. And um, and mortgage is another area that just ripe for innovation. You know, anybody who's gone and, you know, you get that email if you're going and I, you know, this will speak to my personal goal, but like going to purchase or potentially purchase a new home, you know, that process is very paper intensive. It still requires a lot of documentation. It has not moved extremely digital yet. And and that's something we're going to help enable. Um, and, you know, even myself, I, I, I just, you know, with COVID, I just recently uh, moved slightly outside New York City. And so I'll be one of those people who hopes to leverage technology like Oculus when I go out there to, to potentially purchase my first home. So, you know, those are the types of things that we're, we're really here for um, and Oculus is working on. And then there's a variety of other segments, whether it's healthcare, insurance, you know, the worlds that have tons of paper out there that we're going to help digitize and then provide a layer of analytics that just helps 
you know, companies uh, make better decisions. What do you do to take your mind off work? I mean, it sounds like you're, you're like gung ho, full of energy, ready to do it. But like when you <laughs> do unplug, what do you do to, to recharge? Well, you still need the energy. Yeah, that's a great question. So I have two young children. Uh, my son is five and my daughter is two and a half. So I will tell you, you got to keep that energy up even before and after work. Uh, I'm fortunate they're at camp today. Uh, things have just gone back here outside the city, but we spent a lot. I spent a lot of time with my family, my wife and my two kids. Uh, part of the reason for moving outside is my son's going to be in kindergarten. So uh, we spent a lot of time with the family. I do love on the weekends. Uh, hang out with some friends also. Uh, I'm, I'm big into grilling. So that's always a good, relaxing, calming activity. Uh, but those are kind of the things. You don't have a ton. Uh, outside of that, I do play basketball at times uh, when I can get out there and throw up a couple jumpers, but, um, but not quite as much as I used to. <laughs> Man, I, uh, I'm envious of the grilling life. I, I've been eyeing a grill for a while and I need to pull the trigger on it. So uh, I'll have to get some, some of your recipes one of these days. It's a no regret decision. It is a great way to unwind and just relax. And obviously, even the comforts of hanging out around food is always good. Oh, totally. Okay. So last question as we wind it down, who are some of the folks in your career professionally who have either inspired you or been mentors, just folks who have really helped um, you along your path so far? Yeah, great question. So I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't first talk about my time at Ultimate Software. Uh, I grew up uh, around and learned a ton about the self software and technology space from the founding executive team there, Scott and Mark Shear, uh, Mitch Dowerman, and my dad was a part of that group. Um, that was probably where I got my start in tech. Um, and then as I moved into Namely, without a doubt, you know, the, the two biggest influencers and, and, and mentors to me were Mark uh, Roberts from HubSpot and Carl Eschenbach, uh, who's now a, a Sequoia partner, was previously the COO of VMware. And as we started to scale Namely up, he was wildly helpful on thinking about everything from operational and finance related, uh, in addition to revenue processes, um, and just being a great ear uh, to, to ask questions and lean on. So I would say those folks, without a doubt, uh, were super helpful to me in my career, and I wouldn't be here without them. Well, Michael, it has been a blast and uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me.